Lord, you have. You've really done that. You've turned our sorrow to joy. You've turned our life around. Who knows where we would be today, right now, if it weren't for you. Who knows what might have come about in our lives, what tragedies may have befallen us. God, because you're our God, and you've turned us around, we have hope, we have promise, we have purpose in life. And for all of that, we thank you. We glorify you. Thank you, God, for being our God. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our guide. We glorify you now through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're talking about stories that change the world, the parables of Jesus. Last week, we talked about the parable of the ten virgins. And this parable was given birth by a conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples as he left for the last time the temple in Jerusalem. As they walked away, as I reminded you last week, the disciples were marveling about the majesty of the buildings. And Jesus rattled their world when he came back and he said, they're beautiful, but you know that one day not one stone of all of this will be left on another. And we know that's historically exactly what happened in the year 70 AD. Titus, the Roman general, came in, laid siege to the city, ultimately burned the temple down, and they pried every stone apart so that they could get to the gold that had melted from the temple into every crevice of the rocks. But Jesus went on to answer the question that they asked. In Matthew 24, verse 3, he said, When will this happen, and what will be the signs of your coming and the end of the age? And so Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 launches into a discussion about the end times, about the second coming of Christ. And he says clearly this is no one knows the hour or the day. He says the angels don't know. He said even I don't know the Son of Man. Only God the Father knows. But the impetus of the message is live every single hour of every single day in expectation that it might happen right now. Because we don't know the day. We don't know the hour. Now, beginning in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus shares two parables that talk and focus on the second coming of Christ. And we ask the question in these parables, just what does being ready for Christ's return look like? How can we be ready? We don't know the hour. We don't know the day. It could happen even before I finish this message. I hope so. But how can we be ready for it to happen? Knowing that it is going to happen, and certainly in our day, anticipating that it can happen at any moment, how do we get ready? Well, Jesus tells us in these parables. Last week in the parable of the ten virgins, he said we better have oil for our lamps. In the parable, five virgins had oil for the lamp when the bridegroom came, five did not. And we learn from that, that that parable, one aspect of the second coming of Christ, that is those without saving faith, that's what the oil represented, are going to be shut out from the presence of God for all eternity. If you miss that message, I encourage you to listen to it online or to get one of the CDs after the service. It's an important message that reminds us that without saving faith in Jesus Christ, no one is going to be ushered into the presence of God. Now, continuing the same thought, Jesus next shares the parable of the talents. He's continuing the same theme. It's the same focus. He's talking about how can we be ready 
for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles, to open your Bibles this morning, to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. Now again, he is going to share and continue the thought. He goes on to say, again, it will be like, he's talking about the second coming. How can we be ready? Let's look at the parable together, beginning in verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been found faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this parable is yet another example of what we need to know to be ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, once again, Jesus takes a very common human experience to the people of his day. He, he takes an experience where a rich person entrusts his material belongings, his household, to a servant. So that they manage it for him. The prime Old Testament example of that is Pharaoh entrusting the entire kingdom of Egypt to Joseph. Joseph ran it for him. The same thing happened. Today it might be like those who have investments in the stock market or bonds. And they might have an investment broker that they trust and that person manages their money for them. This is the same illustration here. Now in the parable, the master is Jesus Christ. That's Christ. He's the master who takes a long journey, who ascended back from earth up into heaven, but is coming again one day. The servants represent mankind. You can put your name in this parable. I can put my name in the parable. And the talents are entrusted resources. Now, in biblical times, a talent was really a, a measure of weight. And so, depending on the commodity, depending on the value, you could have a talent of gold that was worth more than a talent of silver. But in general... A talent, Bible scholars tell us, was the equivalent of 20 years of the average person's salary. 
So we're talking about entrusting a lot here. Even the one who only got one talent was entrusted with the, the financial equivalent of 20 years a person's salary. So what is the point Jesus is making in this parable this week? Now I want to cut right to the chase. Because it should be obvious. We're talking about the second coming. We're talking about what we need to do to be ready for the second coming. How it's all going to play out. And in this parable, Jesus clearly teaches that when Christ returns, he's looking for a prophet. When Christ returns, he's looking for a prophet. Two servants have used their master's talent wisely. One has done nothing with it. Two servants are rewarded. One is dramatically rejected. Get rid of that lazy servant. Cast them out into outer darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, with that, we've got to ask the question, is Jesus shifting gears on salvation? I mean, look what he says in Matthew 25, 29. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, that is clearly speaking about hell. It's clearly speaking about Eternal separation from God. And these are the exact words Jesus uses in other places of Scripture when he's talking about a person who is doomed to eternal separation from God. And he says earlier in the verse, whatever he does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Does that mean that he's taking his salvation also? Sounds like work salvation, doesn't it? That If you don't profit with your life, I'm going to take that gift back. But we clearly, in last week's parable, established the eternal truth that salvation is all about saving grace. The focus of this parable is the second coming of Christ. And the important ingredient in this parable is entrusted resources. Last week, the important uh, element in the parable of the ten virgins was oil, and the oil was saving faith, believing that Jesus Christ has already done everything God has commanded for the forgiveness of sin. That is the gift of God, the Bible says, to anyone who will trust Christ as his or her Savior. This parable is not talking about salvation. This parable is talking about entrusted resources. And you've got to understand that God has entrusted resources to believers and unbelievers alike. For example, in Psalm 139, verse 13, the Bible says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mom's womb. In other words, at the moment of our conception, God is active in our formation. Immediately. He begins to manipulate our DNA so we come out looking like the beautiful people we are. Immediately, he starts manipulating our DNA so we have the personality traits that we exhibit. That's why if you're the parents of more than one child, you know that those children can be totally opposite. At the same time, God is knitting into us special talents and abilities. Every one of us here has things that come natural to us. We, don't, we hardly even have to think about it. Other things we really struggle to get, concepts and abilities and skills. See, immediately, even before we've ever heard the name Jesus, God has entrusted resources to us. He's given us talents. He's given us personality traits. He's given us abilities to make a difference in life. 
and to make a difference for the kingdom of God. That's everybody. Now, to those who trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, in addition to those natural talents, He entrusts us with spiritual gifts. The book of Romans chapter 12 verse 7 says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. He's talking about spiritual gifts. So beyond our natural talents, those who are believers in Christ have spiritual gifts. So, when Christ comes back, He's going to hold everybody accountable for the resources given to them, whether natural gifts they received or spiritual gifts that they received. The parable is not about work salvation. It's about resource accountability. And we've got to understand that before we go any further. Now, in my mind, and I'm going to chase a rabbit here, bear with me, someone's missing in this parable. There's a character missing. I mean, we've got two believers who do it right, and God rewards them for it. We've got one unbeliever who does it wrong, and he's cast out into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But in my mind, and I don't know why Jesus left it out, someone's missing. And I struggled with it. Here's who I think's missing. The profitless believer. How about the profitless believer? How about the person who really has trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior? They have oil in their lamp. They have saving faith. But they don't go beyond that. Their life is not invested in the kingdom of God. They're not using their natural skills or their spiritual gifts as profit for the kingdom of heaven. How about them? I think that's the person that Paul addresses in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 11, he says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stone, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. In other words, the day that he's talking about there is what Jesus is talking about in these two parables, the second coming of Christ. When Jesus Christ returns, it's accountability day. And he says that if anyone has built their life on anything other than that expectation and that knowledge, that doesn't mean you can't have other aspects of your life, but we're talking, what does he say, the foundation of our life. If it's built on anything else, then on that day of accountability, that's going to be judged. It goes on to say, it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. will test how well the person used the entrusted resources God gave them to promote the kingdom of Christ. If what he has built survives, he'll receive his reward, like the two servants did. However, if it is burned up, he'll suffer loss. Now, the key phrase again, as we've looked at this passage many times, he himself will be saved. Why? Because this parable is not about saving faith. Saving faith comes through trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. But only, it goes on to say, as one escaping through the flames. So what about the profitless believer? Here's my take. This profitless believer will arrive in heaven with nothing more to offer Jesus Christ than the unbeliever who went to hell could have offered Christ. Nothing more. There had been really no difference between the way they lived their life. The only difference is what God did for them in allowing them to hear the gospel 
and being able to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Otherwise, no difference. Now let's go back to the parable. When the master returned, look how the one guy who had received the one talent responds. He says, I knew that you are a hard man. I knew you're a hard man. He says, I, I know that you're harvest where you have not sown and, and you're gathering where you've not scattered seed. I, I know you're, you're a hard, hard man. So I was afraid of you and I hid my talent in the ground. Now that you're back, I dug it up here. Here's what's really yours. Now, now the response to the parable of the master is, oh, 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 so I'm a hard guy. That's what you think. See, he wasn't validating that was true. He was saying, oh, oh, so you, you think I'm a hard man where I harvest where, where I don't have any right to harvest. And I, I scatter seed. I don't scatter seed. And so I sow where I don't have any right to sow. So that's what you think of me. He said, well, if that's what you thought of me, you should have at least taken what I gave you and invested it with the banker so I got a little interest. You didn't do anything. But he said, you're hard. You're unreasonable. And don't you know that's exactly how people think about God. That's exactly what people think about Christ. They think, you're hard. Your, your burden is just too much that you've put on us. You're unreasonable with your expectations of us and how we live our life. But is he? Is he really hard? Well, look what the parable says. In verse 14, it says, To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent. Read it with me. Each according to his ability. Say it again. Each according to his ability. See, God looked at one of those servants, and he understood that he had the opportunity, maybe more formal education, he looked at him, and maybe he had more business experience. And, and, and so he said, this guy's got the ability to handle five talents. Now, the other guy, he looked at him, and, and he said, now, now this guy, maybe he hasn't had the same opportunities. He hasn't had the same education. He doesn't have as much business experience. So, so really, he can only handle two. And then he goes to the third, and he said, now, now this guy, he, he really hasn't had as much opportunity or experience or education as the other two. I, 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 he can only really handle one. But the point is that God gave them only what he knew they had the ability to turn into a prophet. And note that his response to the first two are exactly the same. First one comes and says, see master, here's your five and I've turned it into five more, here's ten talents. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been found faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Enter into your master's happiness. Second guy comes and says, here's the two you gave me. I've got two more. Here's four talents back. Now, the master would look at him and say, well, that's not too bad. This guy had ten. You only have four. He said the exact same words. And I don't think it's by coincidence. I think it's by intent. He said the exact same thing to the guy who brought him four as the guy who brought him ten. Because it's not based on how much. It's based on what you did with what you had the ability to handle. So, when Christ returns, he's looking for a prophet. But he's going to be extremely fair in what that prophet amounts to. He's going to take into consideration what opportunities you had, 
What educational opportunities? What business opportunities? What experience? Everyone's not going to be the same. He's going to take each one of us and he's going to hold each one of us accountable for what he has given us the ability to contribute back to him. Christ is going to hold everyone accountable but only for the resources entrusted to them. Now, the question we need to answer becomes, what constitutes profit? What will Christ view as profit in our life? Now, this list isn't complete, but let me get you started. Let me prime the pump and get your thinking started in this. What is profit? What will Christ consider profit when he comes back? Well, certainly acts of compassion. See, Jesus ends this parable, and immediately, he's talking about the second coming to go, and he says, he says when he finally comes, and, and the angels of God come, they're going to separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep are the believers, the goats are the unbelievers. And then, he launches into this dialogue of how the believers, the sheep, have brought him food when he was hungry and something to drink when he was thirsty and how they clothed him when he was naked and how when he was in prison they came and visited him, how when he was sick they came and took care of him. And, and they immediately respond to him in Matthew 25 verse 37, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? They say, when did we do that? We, we never had an opportunity to that. You've been gone all this time. When, 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 when did we do that? And then immediately he says, the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So immediately Jesus gives him one thing that is spiritual profit. That is kingdom profit. And that is when we act compassionately to others who have needs and not look at our own self and our own needs and our own selfish desires. But when we're living our life to care for others and provide for things that they don't have and for things that they need, that is accounted as talent multiplication. Evangelism. Evangelism is just a theological term that means helping other people come to faith in Christ. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now understand that this passage is about the second coming of Jesus Christ also. In fact, it's preceded by a charge in the unbelieving world against Christianity, saying, where is this return you keep talking about? Everything goes on every day like it has since our fathers and our forefathers and their fathers lived. Where is this return? And so Peter comes back and he says, no, don't, don't confuse this. God is not slow as you understand slowness. He's got a reason why he hasn't sent Jesus Christ back. And that reason is this. That he doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to be cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so he's holding Jesus back so that people who have not yet believed in Christ have another opportunity to do it or their first opportunity to do it. Now, therefore, whenever we play a part to any degree of helping somebody find faith in Jesus Christ, that is talent multiplication. We have multiplied our worth to the kingdom of Christ. It could be giving them a gospel track. 
It, it could be sharing our life story and our salvation story with them. It, it could be inviting them to a church service. It could be sitting down and listening to a, to, a, to a sermon on a tape with them. It, it could be anything. Whatever leads them to contemplate faith in Jesus Christ, that is accounted as kingdom profit to your account. A forgiving spirit. Look what Jesus says in Luke 6, 35-36. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be called sons of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. See, God says that when we respond with a forgiving spirit to people who offend us and abuse us and insult us, and treat us unkindly and insensitively. When we respond with kindness and overlook that offense and even go beyond it, as it says, and lend them money without expecting them to get it back, then great is our reward. Greatly multiplied are our talents, is our profit for the kingdom of Christ. Because when we do that, that verse says, we act as who we really are, as sons and daughters of the Most High. We respond as the royal family responds to people who hurt others and to hurt us. And we respond with forgiveness. And that is accounted to our eternal account as profitability for the kingdom of Christ. Enduring persecution. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. So many of us want to play out our Christian experience as secret agents for God. Bond. James Bond. I want to keep that part of my life private uh, or, or I want just to be intimate just between me and God you know so many of us hide our faith at work and we hide our faith even within our families and we hide our faith at school and we hide our faith in our neighborhood because we're afraid people are going to make fun of us or people are we were gonna say, oh, you're one of those okay I get it now okay it's all I connecting the dots uh, you really really you believe the Bible's the word of God you 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 go you spend you give ten percent of your income are you kidding are you crazy but every time that happens we ought to walk away with the biggest smile on our face knowing that because we have endured persecution for the name of Jesus Christ, that when Jesus comes back, well done, good and faithful servant, we've multiplied our talents. Now notice that it does say because of me, not because of you. He's not saying that when you get out there and you're hateful towards someone for the cause of Christ, or you're insensitive to someone for the cause of Christ, or you're obnoxious to someone for the cause of Christ. That's you bringing insults on yourself. What he's saying is when you're living a forgiving life, when you're living a sincere life for Christ, when you're living a believing life for Christ and people make fun of you, that is multiplication of your talents. Another one is spiritual growth. 1 Peter 2.2 Like newborn babes, Peter says, crave pure spiritual milk. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. 
Crave pure spiritual milk. In other words, crave the things that will help you grow, because it goes on to say, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. See, God does not want us to stay infants in Christ. He wants us to grow in our understanding of His Word. Grow in our understanding of, of who, the, who Christ is and who the Holy Spirit is and who God is and, and what eternity is going to be like and, and, and how to share the Gospel. He wants us to grow up in our salvation. And in fact, Paul criticizes harshly the Christians at the church at Corinth because they weren't growing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-3, through 3, Paul writes to them, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. He's, he's really getting down her case. He's saying, listen, you guys aren't getting it. You're stuck in the mud. You're not going anywhere. You're not growing for Christ. You're still sipping on milk when you should be chewing on some good spiritual steak. Hebrews 5.14 says, Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish from good and evil. Who have by constant use, constant use what? Of reading his word, of going to Bible studies, of listening to sermons, of, of trying to learn more and more about Christ and his kingdom and how, about, and how you can be profitable. See, it takes discipline. But when we do those things, we're multiplying our talents. Giving. When we give our tithes and our offerings and our, and our missions offerings. Jesus said in Matthew six nineteen through 21, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. See, because he knows for where your treasure is, he says, there your heart will be also. So when we give our tithes, when we give our offerings, when we support missions around the world, each time we do that, we are multiplying the resources that God gave us. Everything that we have is His. I don't own anything. It's all God's. The minute I die, it's going someplace else. I'm not taking it with me. Neither are you. Never saw a hearse pulling a U-Haul. It's going to stay here. It's all God's. And when we give back to Him, His rightful part, we're multiplying our talents and we're preparing for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Building a godly family. The primary way that the gospel is passed from generation to generation is in the family unit. And that's why even in the Old Testament, God commanded the Old Testament parents in Deuteronomy 11, verses 18 through 19, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. So he says, first let's start with you. You grow up spiritually. You know who I am. You know about me. He says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. In other words, he says, that should be the focal point of your family is learning more and more about God. And when we build godly families, God's message continues to go out. Christian service continues to happen from generation to generation. And that is multiplying our profit. Our message today, and it's so important to every one of us, is that when Christ returns, He's looking for a prophet. Now, let's bring it 21st century. What if... 
the church, Florida Bible Church, were scrutinized as a business. I know some of you are horrified by that thought. No, we're a nonprofit. Well, what if we were scrutinized as a business? One of the first questions that would be asked is, how much profit did it make? Now, when it comes to that question being asked about a church, we're not talking about how many ministries did it sponsor. We're not talking about how beautiful was its buildings. We're not talking about how many satellite campuses does it have, or years ago, how many buses does it run. We're talking about what has it contributed to changing lives in preparation for the second coming of Jesus Christ. How has it impacted people? How has it changed marriages? How has it changed families? Our families. How has it changed people? How has it brought them closer to Christ? Now, let's take it a step further. What if every member of this church slash business were scrutinized as an employee? Then the question becomes, how many of us should reasonably expect to keep our jobs? See, we should be constantly asking ourselves questions like, just what is it that I'm doing that is kingdom work? What am I doing in my life that is kingdom work? We should be asking, just what is it that I'm doing for Christ and His kingdom that is profitable? You say, well, that's easy for you. You're a pastor. You get to do the Jesus thing all week long. Well, don't think it's as easy as you think, number one. Number two, you say, you say, oh, Pastor, you don't understand. You don't know how many hours at work that I'm at work. I'm at work all day long. Okay, what are you doing while you're at work all day long that is profitable for the kingdom of Christ? You might say, oh, well, you, you don't understand, Pastor. I'm a single parent. I've got all these kids, and, and, and I'm all constantly giving them my attention. Okay, well, what are you doing with all those kids all day long that is profitable for the kingdom of God? See, see there's no excuse. Because we don't only profit the kingdom of God when we're sitting here. Probably we profit them least when we're sitting here. We profit them when we leave here and go out into the world and make a difference for Christ. So what's God's motive in all this? Maybe, it, maybe God is like, like that third guy with one talented thought. Maybe God is hard. Maybe he's unreasonable. Maybe he does put too much on us. So, so what's his motive in all this? Well, he tells us in the parable. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Look what he says. I will put you in charge of many things. Now understand, this is all talking about the second coming of Christ. So he's not talking about many things here. He's talking about many things in the next life. Now, get this, once and for all. When we die and go to heaven, we're not going to be floating on clouds playing harps. That's not going to happen. What are we going to do for all eternity? I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to serve God. We're going to work for Him. See, work is not the result of sin. Work preceded the fall of, into sin. The result of sin is that work is now tedious. It's mentally exhausting, it's spiritually exhausting, it's emotionally exhausting, it's physically exhausting, even for those who have jobs that you love. Work has become toil. Before we found the sin, Adam and Eve were put in the garden to what? To tend to the garden, to watch over creation, to manage it for God. 
And it was a wonderful, beautiful experience. And God used to even come down in the cool of the evening. And they would celebrate His creation together. And it was a wonderful thing. Well, it's going to be a wonderful thing again when Jesus Christ returns. And work no longer is going to be toil. Every day of our eternal existence will be a day of service to the Lord. But it won't be... It won't be misery, it won't be pain, it won't be toilsome. It will be a privilege, it will be honor. We won't be able to wait to do the next thing for God when we really see Him as He is. And so God says, listen, when it comes to eternity, because I watched you when you were down here on that earth life. I watched you for that 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, whatever you had. And you know what? I saw you were faithful with with the little stuff I gave you there. Now, Now, I'm going to give you like you can't even imagine. I'm going to give you opportunity. I'm going to give you responsibility like you've never dreamed of. Now, I don't know what all that is, but I want it, don't you? And then look what he says. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, it's really easy for us after this kind of a a message today to have within us stirred up feelings of guilt And maybe even more feelings of fear. But that's not the message of the parable. That's not the intent. That's not God's motive. God's motive is to present before us the opportunity that He's given us. It's all about opportunity. He said, listen, I know who you are. I made you. I know what you can handle. I know what you can't handle. And I'm not going to judge you against somebody else. I'm going to hold you accountable for the person I made you, the abilities I gave you, the opportunities I allowed you to have, the experience that I allowed you to gain. I'm only going to hold you responsible for what I've enabled you to do. And when you come into my kingdom, I want it to be a fantastic, phenomenal experience. I don't want you arriving before Christ and standing before Him in returns with nothing more to offer Him than an unbeliever who went to hell other than the fact that you took the gift I gave you. That's all you've got. You got what I gave you. You didn't give anything back. Do you really want to enter eternity that way? Do I really want to stand before the returning Christ that way? The answer is no. Listen, salvation is free. It's a gift. Any man or woman here today who has never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, God will give that to you today. He won't charge you. He doesn't demand you to clean up your life first. He doesn't demand that you do anything. He just loves you. And He'll give you eternal forgiveness. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, God raised Him from the dead, we'll be saved. That's all He asks. Salvation's free. It costs God a lot. It costs us nothing. But discipleship is costly. And God doesn't reward salvation. That's a gift. He rewards discipleship. And that's costly, and Jesus said it would be. He said, if a man follows me, he's got to take up his cross. He's got to deny himself, and he's got to follow me. Jesus says in Revelation twenty-two twelve, Behold, I am coming soon. And folks, I believe he's coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. 
this parable is a sobering parable. It's critically important to every one of us here today. Now, God's plan is that we partner with each other in order that we're all ready to meet Jesus Christ when he comes, either through our death or through his return. In fact, Paul says to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, it was some he gave to be apostles, some he gave to prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. That, that's me. That's Pastor Bob. That's Pastor John. That's Pastor Rusty. That's, that's, that's Pastor Evans. Teachers. That's, that's Carol Swinson. As a ministry director, Sonia helping us in this service with, with our work. I mean, that we're here in a certain capacity, and we have been entrusted with you as a resource. Now, we've been entrusted for a purpose, and that is to prepare God's people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ might be built up. And why does the body of Christ want to be built up? So we can do kingdom work here while we're alive, and so that we're ready for when Jesus Christ comes back. That's why. So we have to partner together. Now, in order for us to partner with you, we need more information about you. We need to know who you are. We need to know something about you. We need to know what makes you tick. In your bulletin, is a little card, and I don't know what color yours is, but it says, the parable of the talents. I want you to take that out right now, everybody, wherever you are. And if you don't have one, raise your hand, and our ushers will try to get one to you. Guys, get some of those bulletins, get some of those cards, and take them to folks whose hands up. They're, they're getting around right now, so just keep your hand up until someone finds you. There's folks down here up front, too. Don't forget them. I want you to take it right now. Now, while they're finding you, keep your hand up until someone finds you. Don't forget to look up front, Ray. Up here, right in the front row, we have some folks. It says your name, your email, and your phone. Please make sure those are legible and accurate. On the back, it says, what are your talents? Ask that question. What's your talents? When you were in your mom's womb and God knit you together, when God knit you together, how did he make you? What, what things come natural to you? What are you good at? What skills do you have? Then the next question is, what are your passions? What do you really like to do? I mean, what would you love to do if you could do anything you want to do this afternoon? What would it be? Right there in the center. We have someone right here in the center, lady. I, I can't see who anybody is because my eyesight's not good. <clears throat> but what do you love to do? What really stokes your fire? Then the third thing is, what are your spiritual gifts? What has God gifted you with as a believer? Now, you might not know. And if you don't know, we want to help you. We want to partner with you. Because he's going to hold you accountable for how you use those for his glory. So if you don't know what they are, you're not going to be able to use them, right? So on our website, you can go to Florida Bible, www.floridabible.org, O-R-G, and go to Next Steps, and it'll take you to a spiritual gifts inventory. You can take it right online, and it will help you to discover your spiritual gifts. So right now, I'm going to invite you to take a few minutes and fill that out, and then I'm going to tell you what to do with it, just right now.